In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, I salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena Podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host and guide of today's number one podcast for Christian men on Spotify. I'm here to guide you to your best version as a man in that stress bubble of life and beyond. But before we get into our interview, I want to read to you one of our hero stories. This came from Sam out of California. Uh, He's one of our newest small group leaders in his church. He launched a group that has 20 to 30 guys coming every week, and he wrote this. I just wanted to give you an update on how our group is going. We've had about 20 guys each week. Yesterday, we had two new guys show up who don't even go to church and were invited by other guys in the group. At the end of last week, the guys were challenged to find something they could do to start stepping up in their families or communities. Some victories so far are, one man said he'd never prayed with his daughter before, but last week he went in and prayed with her every night before she went to bed. One guy had never read the Bible before, but committed to start reading his Bible. Another guy stepped up and started volunteering at a retirement center to use his time to help others. And one younger dude said he's going to start helping his mom around the house as a way to start loving his future wife. Man, that is powerful, powerful stuff. Thanks so much, Sam, for what you're doing down there in California. And guys, man, if you want to start a team, it is as easy as you going to our website, getting our resources, connecting with us. I'll send you seven launch steps that will help you to launch a team with great success. And man, you are off and running. So guys, make sure you hit us up at info at with one of your hero stories. Remember, we're trying to find 365 hero stories in 2023. That's one per day. So you can help us out by sharing your story of transformation. We'd love to highlight you and we'd love to put Jesus on display. So guys, stay tuned to the end of this interview when I unveil this week's Man Law. Hey guys, I'm really excited to introduce our guest on the show today, Josh Kachadorian. And yes, I did pronounce that right. Josh lives in Nazareth, Pennsylvania with his beautiful wife, Rachel. They've been married almost 20 years. Josh is host of Raising the Standard podcast. He spent the last 15 years climbing the corporate ladder of a Fortune 500 company where he is focused on building high-performing teams and developing the best in-class leaders. Josh has made his mission to show men that Jesus is accessible, relatable, and relevant. His best-selling book, The Standard, 
challenges men to raise the standard in their own lives, and it is our topic today. And I've read this book, and it is very comprehensive. I love the amount of scripture. Uh, reading this book, I resonated, Josh, with the fact that you are not holding anything back. You are not going to shrink back from your faith. You are not ashamed of the gospel. And in a day and age where so many people are ashamed and shrink back, I just want to say thank you for the book. Yeah. Well, Jim, first of all, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor that you checked out the book, and I'm just really excited to share it with you and your audience today. Yeah, man, I'm excited. I, I went cover to cover on that bad boy. I remember reading that book in an airplane, highlighting stuff, and you know, do the, okay. it's hard to read on an airplane for me, but you know, you, you know, you're up against uh, deadlines at times, and so it's like crank it out time based. So, so I'm excited. So, hey, first of all, though, Josh, you yeah. shared a little bit with me about your story. Why don't you tell our audience about who you are, your story, what makes you tick? Yeah, sure. I'll just, um, I'll do a macro view. And if you want to dive into any one piece, just let me know. But I was brought up in a Christian home. So I was very fortunate to come from a two-parent family and really see a strong father modeling manhood for me, great work ethic, um, and really brought up with a praying mom. I'm really mm. the results of a praying mom, Jim, if if I put it in that, wow. that term, is that she prayed me through a lot of different places so I can be the man I am today. So um, I know you have women that listen to this. I know you have men that listen to this. And if you have a praying mother, thank God for her, because I wouldn't be where I am today without her and without the, the power of prayer. Um, but growing up in that household was, was amazing. And I had a relationship with the Lord the whole way through and there's seasons we go through. Yeah. And then I'm just going to fast forward to, you know, most of the men that you're talking to here, the men that I speak to, they're in the real world. Yep. They work yes. and they live in the real world, right? We're career driven. We have to provide for the family, whether that's blue collar or whether that's white collar. And while I was working in, I started my own business after school and that was really um, a big learning experience, growing a fitness store from one location to three locations, learning what to do, learning what not to do, getting a lot of lessons from that, and then breaking into the corporate environment where I spent, it's now going into my 18th year of leading, developing high-performing teams, being a salesperson, being an account manager, and learning, we could say it this way, learning the ways of the world. Mm. And along that process of being in a corporate environment, um, I'm going to take you back to 2016 and just give you the genesis of this book is I was reading the Gospels again, but this time I was reading with a fresh lens. Um, a lot of us here that are listening, we've been in church, we've been Christians for a while, or you're seeking, you're exploring, that's why you're listening to this awesome podcast that Jim hosts, and you've heard the messages of Jesus. You've heard them if you've been in church as you read yeah. your Bible. Well, this time, Jim, in 2016, I was taking a fresh look at the Gospels, and what the Lord was highlighting to me was not just the words of Jesus, I was really taking note of the methods hmm. of what he was doing, why he was doing certain things. And keep in mind, I'm at a point in my life where I've been a businessman, I've been in corporate, I've done different extracurricular activities throughout the church, inside the church and out of the church. So I have this different mindset to see things that I wouldn't have been able to see when I was younger. And that led to journaling, that led to just some discovery and some prayer and the book never started as, hey, I'm going to sit down and write this book. It started with, wow, look at how awesome Jesus is and all these different things. Mm. And then it just started to form. And along that journey, I felt the responsibility that this has to be a book. And that's when I started to push through and said, we're going to get this out there. Well, so a couple of things that got me going there. So first of all, I will say this. So I usually just speak to men, but we've discovered half of our audience on social media are women. I'm not mm. sure about the podcast, but but ladies, there's no greater thing you can do for your sons. You're stubborn, hard-headed, 
sons than to pray for them. So just pray for them. And the other thing is, is so talk about methods of Jesus. So is this book really about the methods that Jesus used? What would you say this book is about? Yeah, this book is about seeing Jesus and how he sets the standard for men. Okay. And I encapsulate as how he sets the standard for masculinity. So there's two ways to look at this book. And I've given it to a lot of men. I've gotten some great feedback all the way from some of my favorites are, this is the most non-religious book I ever read on Jesus. I had another person tell me, you know, as I was reading it, I could see myself where a lot of people, when they think about Jesus, and we even see this in men's Bible studies, it's typical to find a Bible study about the life of David or about the life of another biblical character, especially for men, because we can connect with their downfall. We can connect with, yeah, they stumbled and I see that in my life. And when it comes to Jesus, we make him distant. And it's like, well, he's the son of God. Jesus is Lord. And I can't really compare myself to him. But when we pull the covers back and we see that he's he is the son of God, 100 percent. But he's also 100 percent the son of man. And the Bible says that he emptied himself and he became fully human. And as such, he walks out the human existence for 30 years of his life, punching the clock in a normal job, living in obscurity, living the way that we feel in seasons and times of our life before he depends on his father, is obedient. And when it's go time, it's go time. He launches his mission. But all that time before he's exhibiting all these qualities in his mission, he's exhibiting all these qualities. And I've realized this is the standard that he sets that we are all to live. We can pattern, we can use Jesus as the prototype for how we are to live our life. We don't have to relegate it to a different Bible character. We can look at the son of God, the son of man, and we can say he is the pattern for what he calls me to be and who what he calls me to do. Yeah, so what do you say? I've had guys say this to me before, and I'm setting you up. I'm putting the ball on the tee yeah. right now because I already know the okay. answer. How do you handle it when guys go, hey, man, you know, I, this Christian thing isn't for me. I don't want, you know, if I accept Jesus, he'll make me less of a man because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm going to okay. be less so of a man. Let's... How do you have, how do you handle that dude? Because clearly you're not less of a man. I would think I'm not less sure. of a man. I, I would say I'm more of a man. What would you say to that guy? Yeah, he makes you more of a man. Well, let's address the problem, Jim. And I know you know this is that Christianity has been feminized. Let's just call it out yeah, for, for a sure, long for time. Sure. There's been a period of time where Christians are associated with being weak. They're associated with being nice guys that just roll over. And there's lots of reasons for that. Without getting into a history lesson, we know that when the Industrial Revolution started, men left the church and women were the predominant parishioners there. And everything started to form to cater towards the audience. And men were absent. So actually, the weakness, the perceptions, anything that's hanging over um, what some guys might think about Christianity being weak is because men left their role as leaders. Absolutely. So now that's coming back. And we're, we're seeing more and more masculine men. We're seeing more and more churches cater to men. And I think, I, I mean, that tide is definitely changing, but that's how we got here. Where we are now, if someone thinks that being a Christian is a nice guy, they haven't met the real Jesus. No, you know, he was not nice. <laughs> the Pharisees would say he was a uh, blankety blank. <laughs> right, right. So we pull the covers back on that in the book. We look at, you know, you can't, there's certain verses that travel together. You can't have John 3, 16, that he so loved the world without the rest of the chapter. You can't have certain things about Jesus and just cherry pick what you want and put a perception on him. You know, that's still happening today. Yeah. When he walked the earth in the Middle East in century one, 
he was trying his message was trying to be it was it was under attack and it was trying to be hijacked yeah we had the religious zealots on one side which were basically the patriots and on the other side you had the religious order and they both wanted to use him for different political purposes yes it's interesting because that still happens today yeah for sure Um, but jesus won't fit into the box he is who he is so we have to meet him on his terms yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that. So now, hey, I got a question for you real quick. This is totally off topic. Yeah. T- tell me the hat. Right now, for those of you guys who are listening audibly, you have a hat that says S59, and I know that hat is on your head for a reason. What does it mean? Yeah, S59 stands for Standard 59. So Standard okay. 59 is what I've called the ministry, the the program that we run. It's standard59.com. And the reason for that, Jim, is it's connected. So the book's called The Standard, right? Jesus sets the standard. He is the standard. But it actually comes from Isaiah chapter 59. Oh. Because in Isaiah chapter 59, yeah, there is a picture of Israel. And, you know, Isaiah is the prophet who's called to Israel. And it's not a good picture in chapter 59. He's describing the people. He's like, they're weak. They're blind. They're walking around like blind men. Everyone's in mediocrity. And Isaiah is there as the prophet and as the intercessor to call them back. And he delivers a prophetic word in 59, um, I think it's verse 19, where he says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. And that is actually a prophetic verse about Jesus Christ. That's a second advent verse that Jesus will raise the standard against the enemy. And that standard is if we go back even a little bit more in the history, that's a battle standard. So times of warriors, times of ancient times, the standard is the battle standard. And that's a picture of the Lord fighting for us on our behalf, that he is the battle standard. He sets the standard for us in every dimension of our life. Wow. You know, I I memorized as an early brand new Christian, Isaiah 59.2, which says, for your iniquities have caused a separation between you and your God, and he can no longer hear your voice. And that, I use that a lot in evangelism and yeah. sharing Christ with people. So I love Isaiah, and I love the book of Isaiah because Isaiah has 66 books. Mm-hmm. The Bible has 66 books. The first 27, I'm sorry, the first 39 chapters in Isaiah talk about the law and judgment and and all of this. And the last 27, which is the similar to the New Testament 27 books, talks about grace and God's redemptive plan and and the standard and these things. So it's really a, a beautiful book. So, well, I'm glad I asked the question. So amazing. So this is, I, I, I love how you're saying a battle standard because now I've got a picture in my head of something. So you're saying, so your book, so tell me about this book. So this book, you use a ton of scripture. It's very comprehensive. Tell us about your passion behind it. Is there any, anything else you want to add? I love Jesus. You know, I love Jesus and I want to showcase him. And I feel so many, so many men don't know Jesus. They've been given this picture, like you said, he's that he was weak. They don't understand. We have a biblically illiterate culture right now. There's many people, um, you know, our our newest generations coming up. They don't even have a concept, not only of the morals and the ethics, um, but also just some basic foundational understanding of Christianity, of who Jesus is, of their of their need for a savior and the life that he invites us to live. So it's driven from a passion for the Lord. I really, I I've had an encounter with him. He's real to me. Um, I want to show him to other men. And when people see, and we can connect the dots, you know, because we're talking about guys in the world, we're driven, 
we're ambitious and we walk into a church and we feel like we don't totally fit in. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I got to crush it Monday through Friday. I got to kill it. I got to take names. I got to provide for my family. I want to get the promotion. I got to navigate the corporate ladder. If you're bidding for jobs or in a blue collar world, it doesn't really matter. You're fighting for what you need and for, you know, getting into the position that you're supposed to get into and better yourself and better your family. And then we can walk into church and we can sometimes feel like, okay, now I got to be a nice guy. And what about all that drive? What about all that ambition that I have? And so one of the key messages that I'm able to resonate with men with is that that's God given that drive that you have, that, that fundamental drive to achieve more, to be more it's, it's needs to be directed. It needs to be understood, but Jim, it's the reason why men climb mountains. Yeah. It's the reason why we want to go to the moon. It's the reason why we build empires and some of that's misdirected and you know, that original call for dominion is now showing up as domination. It's now showing up as cutting corners and trying to get to the top. But when we see the way Jesus calls us to build and who he calls us to be, it's amazing. You don't have to check your ambition at the door. You don't have to turn in your man card, as you would say, yeah. right? So he invites us on a life of partnership, and it truly is an adventure. And that's what my life has been like um, over the last, over my whole life. It just feels like I go from one adventure to the next, and I'm just partnering with God and seeing what he wants to do next. No, that's cool, man. Yeah, I, I have had some frustrations over in the past and with the churches that I've visited is that, and a lot of the men's ministries I interact with, a lot of the men's ministries, their Bible study books are like, read the Bible, pray, serve God. I'm like, oh, well, the, well women should do that too. Sure. So give me something specific to men. And the other yeah. thing is this, back in the 90s, there was a band, a rap, kind of a rap band called DC Talk. And they, they yeah. had a mantra that and it was, it was, their mantra was, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. But, but we walk into churches, you know, you're high level, you're functioning at a high level, and then you walk into a church, and the church somehow thinks that since we're so in relationship, we can, we can function at this mediocrity level. And it's okay to have the sound go bad. It's okay to have the lights not work. It's okay to have the worship guy out of key. And I, and I would just argue that, no, it's not okay. If it's Christian, it ought to be better. A guy who walks in off the bar on Saturday night listening to a concert at a bar should walk into a church and not have a concert, but have the same level quality of music. There's just no excuse for it. And I think the I think part of the reason why high-level guys aren't attracted to the church is that they walk in and they 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 walk in from a uh, a level of excellence only to experience mediocrity. And then yeah. they attribute, well, Jesus, Jesus must be like this because this is what Jesus's people are doing. And, and it can't mm. be, that's the worst, that's, it couldn't be further from the truth. Right. I, I want to say, I want to add on to that because I feel the same exact way. And I feel that when I went into the corporate arena, it was the Lord sending me there and yeah. training me. Right. So wherever you find yourself in life, just to talk to the audience for a quick minute, you know, see the hand of God and what he's working yeah. in his process in your life. Um, so I felt like Joseph. I felt like I was sent to Egypt and I was learning the ways of the world. I was learning how they do things. And Jim, I was blown away. I'm like, there's so much excellence here. Oh, right? yeah. And I've learned something. And then I was able to take the training, the skill sets, the things I've acquired in the natural realm. Um, and able to use those to build the church, to build men, to build what God calls me to do. So it can be both. You know, everything we do is training, but you're right on the excellence thing. That's what I saw. And I saw that, unfortunately, I didn't always get that from the church. Um, I had to get it from the world. But then once we have it, I would challenge our listeners too to say, 
well, what are you going to do to bring excellence where you are? Right. So we don't want to just be a passive spectator. So now that you have something, what are you going to contribute and what will you do with it? Or or the or worse, saying, I'm out. Bye bye, local church. I'm going to do my own thing. And a lot of guys listen to this podcast have done that. And mm-hmm. I just tell them, don't do that, bro. Your yeah. church needs you plugged in. I was just talking to a guy last night who was broken and I prayed with him at one of our gatherings. And, you know, the guy's uh, disgruntled over uh, his wife who's not really into the marriage, but but he's not going to church. So he's got no way to lead her to Christ. She's not a Christian. And this is the problem. We cannot leave the church. Even though the church has got its own issues, we mm-hmm. as men need to go into the church and make it the church that would that Jesus would be proud of. Yeah. And Jim, that is so important. If someone is is checking out on church, you really don't understand what the church is, what this yeah. Greek word ecclesia means, yes. because it's literally the body of Christ. And uh, you know, I say this in the book too, but you're you're if you think about any creature, like what's their natural habitat? Obviously, a bird is the in the air, a fish is in water, but a believer. Our natural habitat is in the church. It's with each other. Yes. That's the model, the relational model of community that Jesus gave us. That's the way he trained his team. You know, he had 12 guys. They stayed together. And, you know, you got to find the right church. So, of course, look for the right one. But you're never going to find the perfect one. You'll always find an excuse of why not to attend something. But you do need to be plugged in. You need to be in a network. And let's just look at the opposite. The opposite is what are you going to do? You're going to not plug in with anyone. There's no accountability. You can hide. And when you do that, you're isolated. Yes. And when you're isolated, that's the picture of how the enemy will attack you when you're isolated. Well, you talked about birds in nature, fish in nature. I'm a hunter, so the best way to kill prey is you isolate it out from the herd. You call a bull away from its herd. You you uh, call a duck out of the flock. You're you're call you're you're spreading out the quail, hunting them as they're in, in as they're uh, singled out. That's how you kill. That's how predators prey. And we know that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion. First. Peter 5, 8. And, and it's really interesting. You said something interesting about the church. You know, Jesus chose 12 dudes. One was a zealot. One was a tax collector. I mean, he chose the most random yeah. guys. And I remember becoming a, a believer. Uh, I, I just gave my life to Christ. I was leaving college, heading down to my back to my hometown. And I knew I had to plug into a church. And man, I just, and I just went in, I plugged in, and man, I got into a home group. And these people, Josh, were so different from me. I mean, I would have never hung out with these people in a million years. But you know what? That was the church. And and those people shaped my faith. And, well, hey, the church, we are different from each other. That's the way it should be. The jocks should be hanging out. You know, the guys who are athletes should be hanging out with the guys that are, you know, the artists. And the guys that are, you know, gamers should be hanging out with the guys that played the game. That's the church. We all come together. And there's a beauty in that. You know, the church really, I don't know what you think about this, Josh, but I believe the church is the most diverse organism on the planet. It's the church. Mm. It's the church because we're so different, so different. Yeah. Well, Jim, I got to tell you, I love the fact that you just said organism because it's alive. It's living. Yes. It's not an organization. No. And many churches have become a business and we're not here to bash churches or anything, but that is the divine life within a body of believers. And you know what? It's just different when it expresses in a body. Um, It's different when two or three, when we're together, it's a different encounter and experience. So 
in today's current culture, we're highly, highly individualized, but you will not unlock your full potential. You will not unlock the full expression of who God calls you to be, who he created you to be. If you're not around other believers, we need fathers, we need mothers, we have brothers, sisters, and all of these things unlock us. And not only do we just get, we give. Yes. So I would challenge the men listening as well. If you've checked out, obviously find the right church, but you need to also contribute. You know, yeah. this is the model is that we give and we receive. It's not just all about us and, hey, I want to receive or I sit back like a, you know, pinky up wine taster, like, oh, I don't know if I like this message today or, you know, <laughs> they could have done this better. Well, what can you do? If it's not the right place, find the right place, but then find a place to plug in. Well, and and additionally to what you said, and this is what people need to get this, and I'm I'm shocked at how many people don't get this. You get and you receive but in the kingdom of God, in your giving, in your serving, you're receiving. And that's a concept people don't realize. The happiest people I know are the greatest servants. And, and, and some of the most unhappy people I know are some of the wealthiest people that are just taking, 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 and they're consumers. So it's really an interesting concept. But we're, you know what we're doing right now? We're kind of spoiling the book. We're talking about concepts in the book without going it's, through the books. I want to work through the book okay. here. So you're, it's interesting. So your book is interesting. It's almost a mini library because you chose not to divide your book into sections. You divided your book into books. Mm -hmm. So why did you go that route? That was really curious to me. Talk to me about that decision. Yeah, it's just really the way it formed. So I told you I was I was journaling. I was just getting this download and I was just I'm a very organizational guy, if you can tell from the book. Yeah. It's very like it's laid out in a certain way. It's highly oh, yeah. organized. They're they're very short chapters. There's coaching sections. So it's got a lot of symmetry to it. Um, I recruited a friend that I met through the process. who's a phenomenal illustrator. He did some of the artwork in the book. So I wanted to create something that you would be like, if your buddy wanted it, you'd be like, nah, man, get your own. Like this one's mine. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted something that someone would hold on to themselves. So as I was writing it to get to the answer to your question, um, I was just getting these downloads and seeing different things. And I was just putting some meat on the bone of like, wow, look at the way Jesus shows up. I'm like, that's self-mastery, right? That's a hot word right now too. Like yeah, how do we take is. leadership over ourselves, totally. right? So I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the way he interacts with people. Well, I know because I work in the real world, one of the hottest things, um, concepts out there right now, it's also the number one skill that's tied to how much money you can make is your emotional quotient, your EQ. Yeah. So I was looking at, look at the empathy that Jesus uses as a leader. Look at his communication style. Look at his leadership style. And he's doing all these things that I've been trained to do. And they all start from the Bible. You know, the Bible gets ripped off so much by the personal development industry, oh, by anyone who's got yeah. anything that's working. We could find the source is the Bible. So that's part of it, right? We're taking these principles, but it's not just principles because principles work for the world. They work for us. They're eternal. If it's a kingdom principle, it's going to work almost regardless of who works it. But what we're doing in the book is we're showcasing the man in his humanity. We're showcasing Jesus as son of God and son of man and who he calls us to be. So I'm looking at the different dimensions of his life separated into these books. So, you know, a real quick overview of them is we look at leadership, which is self-mastery. We look at we start with self-mastery, which is self-leadership. We look at leadership, the way he builds and leads teams. We look at communication the way he speaks, the way he um, compels people with the message that he carries and his mandate. We look at the way he builds trust 
and he relates to people. And that's his high level of EQ and this empathy that he can demonstrate. And then we also look at the part, which is probably the favorite of most of the guys, which is confrontation and the way that he stands up for the weak and that he didn't come just to bring peace. And lastly, we wrap up with a chapter, a, a short book that I call Love, which is really a call to the cross, the way of the cross and the work of the cross. So the thing about, Josh, about your book that I really appreciate and the thing that sometimes disturbs me about these uh, self-mastery, self-help books, and I've got I've got my share of those. I've just read a couple books by high-level ultra-marathon guys, and they're expressing, and some of these guys are Christian guys, right? Mm-hmm. I, I go back to listening to like Dale Carnegie, some of the, you know, Zig Ziglar. These are Christian guys. However, everything in their book is based on principle. Mm-hmm. And so you get, and I, I love these books and I read these books and I've read some of them multiple times, but you get to the end of the book and you've got these great principles, which as you said, are eternal. Truth is eternal, right? So I get to the end of this book and I've got these principles, but they never take the next step. And I think it's fear and shame. The next step from the principle is the person. So you've got to point the principle to the person and the person is Jesus Christ. And so that has to be the crescendo of everything we're talking about here. And that's why I appreciated what you had in this book, because everything you're teaching, all of your principles are funneling down to one person, and that is the Son of God, Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. So I want to dive into uh, these standards, because I think yeah. these are standards, you know, of, you know, uh, Jesus modeled them for us, and we need to model them. And this first one, I think is the most ignored standard in the church, personally. Uh, if you look at the, the men who attend churches, this one here seems to be one that, that we don't care about. I mean, we say we do. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? In Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think I've lost one there. Good, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that nine? And yeah, I know there's that. nine. Let's go. But with so, it. so why have we forgotten self control? Why have we forgotten self mastery? And, and this is book one. And you said, you know, you tell us that we're going to meet Jesus, the one who walks with a measuring reed. He mm-hmm. is the standard which we measure everything and sets the standard for us today. So, why, you know, when we talk about leading our own lives, or uh, some have said making decisions against yourself, why is self mastery somehow? you know, ignored in certain areas of life? The deep question, Jim. <laughs> you know, let, 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 let's talk about, this is, this is serious and this is really heavy for me because when we talk about Jesus being the standard, we can look at it a couple of different ways. We could say, oh, he's the standard. I should just try and model his virtues and that type of thing. But that's not really, I mean, you could read the book that way and it would still benefit you, but that's not really the heart of what's written here. And as you read it, and if you do a comprehensive read of what I put together here, you'll see it's much more than hacking a style. It's much more than just modeling or let me just put this into use, right? Yeah. There's, like you said, there's a person. Yes. There's a relationship here. And that's what's driving me. And when we talk about self-mastery, we're really talking about self-leadership. So I have something that I say where all men are created to be leaders, but not all men lead. Correct. So you have a leadership mandate on your life. 
you're created in the image and likeness of your father. So you're created as a leader. But when men check out, when they go passive, when they don't exhibit self-control, self-discipline, that's when they're checking out. And that's when they can't lead themselves. It shows up in other areas. That's when they're not leading their family. That's when they fail at work. That's when they're passive. That's when they you know, just spiral down from there. So everything starts with self-leadership. So that's why this is the first standard that we look at. And you know, you said something there. I correlate each one of these books, right? Each one of these dimensions with um, with a word picture and we have an mm-hmm. illustration that goes with it. So Jesus, you know, in Revelation, it says that he walks among the churches. So we talked about church earlier. He actually yeah. walks among the churches, the believers, and he has a measuring reed in his hand. He's measuring according to what he called us to build. And it's not our standards. So there's two types of men we could look at here. There's the man who's passive, right? And just checked out and has no self-discipline in their life. And here's the other side. There's the man who's listening right now, I know, because I am him and I was him, that's driven, (laughs) that's ambitious, that wants to go after things. And the question we must answer, if you're in that side of the camp, is am I going after what matters? Am I building according to what Jesus calls me to build, or am I just building the life that I want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. What What am I leading people to? What am I leading people to? And and our guys are in the stress bubble. They're guys your age. They've got a family. They've got a wife. What are you leading your family to? Are you leading them to a principle? Well, if you're leading them to a principle, you're leading them to functional atheism. Or are you leading them to a person, and the person of Jesus Christ? And, and, and part of that, this comes back to book one with self-mastery. What are you doing to model that fact? Do you want to embellish? Yeah, you know, when you what you said there, when you get to the when you lead to the person of Jesus and you start with identity, you start with who you're called to be and that relationship. Everything functions in the kingdom relationally. So if we get the relationship right, and I see myself as a son, and I see God as my father, then and I know who I am, that's my state of being. Well, if that's right everything else will follow the fruit of the spirit, which you just quoted in Galatians five, that starts to just show up, right? Fruit just produces when I'm living the way I'm supposed to live. If I do it backwards and I try and, you know, do all these things with my own, you know, the rise and grind culture, and I'm just going to hustle and I'm going to do all these things, which, you know, a lot of the world is writing a lot of things on how we can take control and take authority and we can, we can lead ourselves and that's good. But without Jesus, that's just performance. So if you're a Christian man, that becomes religious. You become to try and do all these things and rule keeping and behavior yeah. modification, which is a big burden to carry. But if I get it right on my identity and I know who I am as a son, which Jesus models for us, complete dependence on his father, then those other things will start, they start showing up as the fruit in my life. Yeah. I call this manology or man theology. My, my theology is so simple. It's so simple. It is simply this. And I just call it manology. I should write a book about this. If Jesus, if God created you, right, which most guys will say, I believe that. Well, if he, a creator always loves what it creates. So then, then God loves you. Yeah. Well, a creator not only loves what it creates, but a creator creates what it loves for a purpose. So, so God loves you. God created you. He has a purpose for you. So the question then becomes, the next logical question becomes, how can you become, live out your best version without radical devotion to the creator who made you. And see, that's my man theology. Like I live for Jesus and I'm becoming my best version because of him, because I'm now modeling and 
diligently pursuing my life after the God who made me and the only God who has a plan for me. And I look at these high flying guys out there and I go, man, if they, I, I had somebody tell me, uh, they, well, they, they basically said, oh, you remind me of this number one podcaster in the world. And I said, well, he needs Jesus. He really needs me because he can only go to this level without Jesus. You probably know what I'm talking about. He can only go to this, he, he, you know, he's got a level, but man, can you imagine the level of some of these guys gave their lives to Jesus? So uh, it all, you know, it's about Jesus, period, not Jesus plus. So that yeah. that's what I'm, in your book, that's what I'm hearing. It's about Jesus, period. Yeah, and we're going to get really practical. You know, in the book, you're going to see that Jesus has a plan, right? Jesus has self-discipline. Yeah. Jesus is confident in his identity. These are tools that even though I know this, um, Jim, I'll, I'll just be vulnerable and tell you, when I read the book, I benefit from it. It still challenges me. Yeah. And I'm like, because it's biblical principles, because it's about the yeah. Lord. It's not like, you know, my personal wisdom. I mean, there's obviously my take on things, but it challenges me to become better. It challenges me to follow him closer. It follows me. It challenges me to evaluate in my life. Where can I incorporate this? How can I go further with the Lord? How can I um, enlarge my capacity even more to be the man that he calls me to be? Yeah. Isn't it weird? I don't know if this is like, but for me, with authors, you write the book. And then you go back six, eight months later, and you can read it as if you didn't write the book. So I read the book, and I'm changing things. I'm editing things. I'm like, oh, that's good, as if I did not write the book. And that's the beautiful yeah. thing about authoring, because we're, we're on to the next thing, right? So is there anything you want to add in book one about self-mastery? The only thing I want to say about self-mastery, just to cap this off, is that Let's just make the clear delineation at the outset that this is not just about becoming the best version of you yes. in your own willpower. Thank you. Okay. It's not something that we do on our own. There's shelves and shelves of books. There's tons of stuff on Amazon. Go find a book if you want to just do that without God, right? Oh, there's tons of stuff out there and they're borrowing biblical principles anyway. But for us to truly be the man we want to be, it is a life of discipline but it's also empowered with the supernatural energy of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. we're not totally on our own. He changes us. And as we walk in the spirit, I get empowered yeah. to defeat the lust of the flesh. It's not just this grind. So if a guy's listening to us speaking and doesn't get this or doesn't know Jesus, he might be thinking like, wow, I admire you guys. You guys really like, you know, you're dedicated to this and you try really hard. It's not about trying really hard. It's about living from a new source of life. So, you know, I'll, let me, let me just say this too, Jim, you know, years ago, because of stuff you already quoted, I'm sure you remember the, what would Jesus do craze, right? Oh, totally. Right. And it was all about, um, imitating. It was all about following Jesus. And there's a whole theology that went with that. And I would say it this way. It's good. It's a good start. But I think the better question is, it's not how do I imitate Jesus? It's how can I participate with Jesus? Yeah. What's he calling me to do today? It's not what what would Jesus do? It's what is Jesus doing right now? And how do I find a way to partner with him in my life currently? That's so good. Well, it's really interesting. In each of your six uh, standards, you've identified them. So standard one is self-mastery. But what I did is I went back and I created my own uh, definition or description. And so under self-mastery, I just wrote, receive Jesus. <laughs> now I'm like, that's what this is all about. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to uh, live a life of self-mastery, it all starts with receiving Jesus. That was kind of my takeaway. So, uh, and I think that's what you're saying. You're saying self-mastery, the power of the will, that's secular humanism, which those can give you a great life. But we're talking about 
the ultimate life, Zoe life, uh, eternal life, and that starts with Jesus. So, and it ends with Jesus. So, yeah. And so, you know, listen, salvation is the door. You know, we yeah. focus and we do a really good job getting people saved, right? And then we empower them, <clears throat> we teach them, we train them, they go and get more people, and then th those people get saved. And we have this model where that's great, but we need more than that too. Yeah. We need depth, not just breath. So I look at it as salvation is the door. This is just the entrance into kingdom life, into what the Lord's calling us to do. So once we come in, then it is about growth. It is about yeah you know, using all these, all this fruit in our life to accomplish what he calls us to do. So step one is we need to get in, we need to receive him. Then we need to grow and we need to go and we need to live according to what he calls us to do. So we yeah. can be the man that reaches the full potential. You know, what's really interesting, Josh, is I rarely ask people to receive Jesus anymore. Mm -hmm. I just ask them to surrender, give their lives, you know, whatever. Because what I found is this, is that we have preached so much that if you pray this prayer, you're in the club. Right. It's just not biblical. Jesus never said to make decisions. He said to make disciples. So for me, it's about, yes, there is a crisis. There is a critical moment when we actually uh, have an experience, pray a prayer, make a decision, and we begin to pursue. But, but Christianity is much more about process. It's much more about pursuing the God that we love. It's kind of like a marriage. I pursue my yeah. wife way beyond the wedding ring. You know what I mean? And so this is good stuff. All right, let's move down to standard number two. Standard number two, you said that this is following Jesus as our fearless leader. So he leads us, he guides us with his rod and hand. He offers us protection and provision and calls us to do the same. So so the word, do you want, to, want me to tell you my word or tell you what your word yeah. is? So no, my word, when I read that, I said, okay, well, the word, if the first, if the first phrase for me was receive Jesus, the second phrase is pursue discipleship. Mm. Your your standard here is leadership. So can you couple those two together? Yeah. So, you know, I started a little while ago. I said that we're all created to be leaders. So I believe that every man has, has a leadership mandate on him. And Jim, it's, you know, first it's always lead yourself. That's yeah. the self-mastery component. Then it's lead your family. Um, if you're single, prepare to lead your family. Thank you for saying and that. And it's also lead where you are, yeah. right? It's lead in, we all have a sphere of influence. Yep. Wherever you go, the people you know, there's people listening right now, you're gonna reach people I'll never reach. You have relationship. And every man's sphere is different and that can grow, that can contract, that can expand based on your stewardship, based on your calling and how you walk things out. But we're called to make an impact and influence where we are. So that's where I see the leadership component there. And there's so much we could unpack, but let's, let's go here and then you can take me over wherever yeah, else you wanna yeah. go with it. What's really interesting is that we're talking, let's let's just travel back in time to the Bible, right? We're in century one. Um, Israel's under Roman rule. So as you're walking around, you're going to see centurions. You're going to yeah. see, you know, the political clash. You're going to see the shadow of the emperor everywhere you go. So you're subservient. You're stuck in this situation where leadership is ruling. Leadership is conquest. That's the concept of leadership. There's no John Maxwell seminars. There's no nothing else that we're trying to like lead where we are. It's like, hey, we want to break free from this. And they were looking for, you know, natural freedom and 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 an end to their oppression. Yeah. And so yeah. with that, with with that as the backdrop, you know, horses, war horses walking through the street, soldiers, you know, gar, you know, garbed up in their Roman outfits with their swords and everything there. And like the intimidating, you know, look of a centurion, that's the standard for leadership in century one. And Jesus comes in and he reverses everything yep. about what they think and know about leadership. 
Yeah. And he well, gets on his knee and he washes their feet. And he says, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. And there's just so much that he does where he brings in and he really showcases this concept of servant leadership, which is popular now. That's popular in the corporate world. It's pop popular everywhere um, in books and trainings. But Jesus is the one who started that. And that's what he models the son of God who emptied himself, becoming a servant leader. And that's what he calls us to do. And that's that's our path to promotion. It's really interesting because, you know, several years later, 10, 15 years later, Paul writes <laughs> the epistle to the Ephesians. The, and he's talking to them in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. And women don't like that passage. A lot of pastors won't preach on that passage. They don't like to preach on it. They, they water it down. But but if you really look at that passage in the context of history, century one, the men would have been throwing chairs, screaming, yelling, angry, because it was the first time where Paul took the household codes that were ruled under the Roman law of patria potestas, the potency, the power, the authority of the father, and he says, nope, you are now going to be the servant. God calls you to serve. And they that would have been a tables turning people screaming, women cheering, because they were free. And that's exactly what you're saying, is that God, he He changed the standard from a, a Christian woman should be loved and served by far 10x more than a non-Christian woman mm. because of that pr principle right there. Yeah, yeah, it's so, so good. I, 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 know, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, say something that you said earlier. You know, you talked about discipleship being a process. Yeah. And it's interesting because obviously I agree with you, um, but we make everything, it's it's an American thing to do. It's a current cultural thing to do. It's also shows up in all of our churches and it kind of goes back to your statement on the sinner's prayer is we make everything an event. Yeah, we want things true. fast, quick, and easy. Like give me the event version of it. Yeah. And when we talk about the leadership style of Jesus, it's also driven by this Hebrew mindset, which is different than a Western mindset. Way and the different. Hebrew mindset is very oriented towards process, mentorship, experience learning, um, invitation. Like the way he trains his men, he doesn't sit in an academy. That's more of a Greek model. He doesn't teach them linear outlines. He says, okay, come with me, follow me. And, you know, they would walk and the, the connotation there is that they would follow and eat the dust, travel in the dust of the rabbi. They were walking so closely. So that's the process that he invites us into. So if we really want to learn leadership, we have to follow him. We have to see what he's doing and um, and learn from him and what he models. It all comes back to that first point. <laughs> it, yeah. it always See, that's the thing, guys. Listen, it always comes back to Jesus. Pursuing him, modeling after him, letting him shape you, listening to his voice hearing him speak, it all comes back to that. So the third standard is communication. Now, the word I wrote next to that is Bible, but I don't. But, I, but you can do whatever you want because I'm trying to link it all together here. So you talk yeah. about how Jesus delivers the message and how his words shape and form us. So do you want to add any more about the standard number three, communication? Yeah, you know, let's just, let's say this. So I use an image for each one. So it was the measuring rod for... Measuring rod, measuring read, they're used interchangeably for self-mastery. Yeah. It's how he measures us. In leadership, I use the shepherd staff yep, that he yep. leads us. He's a shepherd that we can follow, we can trust. There's protection, there's provision there. And when I talk about communication, the image that I have there is the chisel. Yes. Because yes. when he speaks, he's chiseling stuff off, right? When he talks to me, when he commands me, when he instructs me, right? The instruction of a father is to bring some discipline, to bring some, some um, correction, 
to give instruction, wisdom, to impart all these things. And that's the way Jesus communicates. So his words are like a chisel. And yes, he's yes, he is the word made flesh. Um, he's the living word. Of course, it's the Bible. And I believe he's still speaking today through the word and through prayer. We can be led by him. We can trust the spirit of God to lead us into truth. And so, yeah, it's leaning on him to say, where is he leading me now in my current situation and getting wisdom from the word and seeking him and having a habit of communion and fellowship with him. And you know, it's really interesting because I, I believe after 35 years of ministry that the number one reason I've been in uh, I've been in churches from Pentecostal churches to mainline churches to whatever, you name it. And I've come down to this, that the Bible is the number one thing we have to listen to what God's standard is for us. Mm -hmm. However, yeah. I cannot tell you how many times God has spoken to me through guys like you, through my wife, through just the whisper, through nature. So the key is, is where is God chiseling you? And what, what, what kind of chisel is he using? It could be in the form of one of your children. It could, it could be in the form of a non-Christian. I mean, God uses so many things to chisel us. What, yeah. I think that there's a deeper thing there. What is it? Well, I mean, I think, there, I mean, there's so much, there, there's so much depth, right? <laughs> yeah. All the books in the world can't contain it. So, exactly. Oh, uh, quoting would, John, good job. <laughs> I would say that, you know, what I love about Jesus, and if we see this in his life, just pay attention to this in scripture. He's always, you know, people say, why did he tell the parables, right? He communicates in parables and storytelling, which is a great way to communicate. And um, people say he did that to make it easier. But we also know that that's not entirely true because he told his disciples behind the scenes one day, you know, he wrapped things in parables and riddles and dark sayings that it would bypass a superficial listener. Oh. So if you were listening, if you were just showing up to say, oh, let me just see what this, this preacher from Galilee is saying. Let me go see what this is about. But you weren't really interested. If you didn't have CQ, curiosity quotient. If you yeah. weren't really seeking, you would not receive anything. And it's the same way today. Uh, yes. If you're not seeking, if you're a casual seeker, you're like, let me just show up. Like you will get out what you put in. So the words of Jesus always invite us deeper. And I say it this way. There's a really short chapter where it just says, Jesus speaks in mysteries that invite us into discovery. So when he says, when he says, you know, He's always saying, verily, verily, listen, you know, yeah, listen yeah, here, I'm yeah. about to say something. He who has ears, let him hear. He's really saying, listen up, pay attention. Yeah. This is important, right? That's what he's saying. And if you're superficial and you're casual, you don't get to know what that truth represents. Moving beyond the casual Christian. Yes. So good. So it could sound that that could sound a little harsh and Jesus was harsh and was loving and was gentle, but standard four is that he showed empathy. Empathy. And yeah, he shows empathy. And he invites, you know, Jim, let's not forget this. He's always inviting. His words are open for everyone. Absolutely. He's meeting with common people. So it's it's harsh if you reject him. Yes. It's not harsh. It's only harsh if you reject, right? He's point. there and he's extending an open hand to everyone. And he's speaking for those that have ears to hear. And, and it's his will, right? He cries over Israel and he's like, I wish you would come, right? He's got this heart of compassion everywhere. Um, and he's really, if we look at his harshness, it's really with the religious crowd. It's anyone that stands in the way of him. But now I'm jumping ahead to conversation. Well, you know what's so. interesting is with the religious, <laughs> with the with the religious, with the proud, he used the yeah. law. 
with the broken, he used grace. So he mm. interacted with a person based on their willingness to receive him. But I love what you wrote about him in your book. You said he captivates and captures hearts. And then I love this. You also wrote, he relates to us. I mean, mm. that resonates with people today that Jesus yeah. wants to, it's more than having a relationship with you, right? Is that Jesus wants to relate, to connect, to establish uh, the emotion behind uh, a relationship with you. There's a depth there that I don't think people fully grasp when they're looking from the outside in. Yeah, you know, we live in a culture right now where, and you know this because of what you do and what you're doing with your platform, it's all about authenticity. Yes. People want to see someone vulnerable. They want to be able to relate and connect with someone. The person that connects wins. If you're putting on this persona and you're trying to put off this perception of look at me or look what I've done, like that doesn't work anymore. I think that might have worked in the 80s or something. Yeah. You know, it was more of that Superman, type of approach. Superman, the Superman, the rock star. Right. Yeah. It was like more glossy and like kind of a little bit more distant. But now people want real. They want authentic. They want vulnerable. And that's really what empathy is. Jesus has the, the ability to connect on a personal level. And think about the day and age we live in right now. We're so captured by distractions and the dopamine drip and all the stuff like it's it's really it's sad but we can be having a conversation with someone and they can pull out and look at their phone heck i've been that guy before yeah a notification goes off and i've glanced at it yep. you know shame yep. on me right yep. but when we do that that's not the way jesus connects with people he's got their full in his full intention his full attention is on the one right? He stops for the one. He goes back for the one. When he meets with the children, he gets down on one knee and he's connected with them. And it's this empathy that really builds rapport and it establishes trust very quickly with the people that he interacts with. That's so good. I mean, and that's, it's, it moves beyond religion. That's, that's, that's what's so important for us as men. Again, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to translate this into our language, right? So, so guys, it is about you connecting with the people that you care about, connecting with your bros with a less than three second man hug or connecting with your wife or your kids. This is what we're saying here. We're not talking just about Jesus. We're saying, as we follow Jesus, we should become better. The introverts are hating me right now. You mean I got to hug somebody? You mean I got to touch somebody? Yes. As we're growing closer to Jesus, yes. We need, and, and, and then extroverts, yes, extroverts, you need to shut your mouth sometime and just listen. That's empathy, extroverts, yeah, right? And yeah. so as we're growing closer to Jesus, the introverts and extroverts should be growing closer in similarity to one another. And this is what we're trying to say here. We're saying, yeah. imitate, I just walked into my office today and there's a little school down below me and I, I volunteered as their security guy. And I walked in and a little cute little girl goes, oh, Jim is here, Jim is here. And, I'm, and I sat down, talked to her, learned how to spell her name. And, and, I, and I did that. And while I'm doing that, I'm going, Jesus did that. I'm living out Matthew 18 mm. right now. Yeah. And so that was the inspiration to learn her name. And I won't repeat her name because that's a breach of security, but just connecting with this little child in a very appropriate way and showing empathy. That's awesome. I mean, that's... You know, Jim, I... Yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I, I had nothing to what say. I was, was... going to say... <laughs> Uh, I love it. I, um, I I say it this way to my guys. This is called showing up. 
Yeah. This is called bringing the power of your presence, your state of being where you're, you're fully in the moment and you're fully present. And that's what Jesus does. That's that authenticity. That's what you just gave the example of with the, with the girl at school, um, when we can show up and be there for someone. If you just do that today, if you can find a place after you listen to the show to say, where can I show up? Who can I show up for yep. one person that can change their life just because you look at them, you smile and you engage them with full attention because that's not being done right now. No. Right. So how different are we, if we can do that? Well, the cool part is I look at John chapter four, you look at Jesus, you know, he's walked 20 plus miles in his uh, broken down Birkenstocks or whatever he was using. He sits at the well, right at Sishar, right there. He's at this well. Uh, it says the disciples went into town to get food, and Jesus was at the well, and this woman shows up, and the Bible says, Jesus says, ask her for a drink. So in the Bible, in the first eight verses of John chapter 4, we see Jesus is tired. We see he's hungry. We see he's thirsty. But he did what you said. He showed up. He brought his power, and in this case, it was the power of empathy, and he changed a woman's life who changed the community's life. But but that's what we're saying. Guys, you're in the stress bubble. You're exhausted. Man, I'll tell you what. If you're not tired all the time while you're raising your kids, you're doing something wrong. You should be tired all the time, but you have to show up. You're, you're, you, there are forevers living in your household that depend on it. So let's I got nothing. So let's move mic drop. So That's let's awesome. move but here's but I want you to bring the heat on this one Josh. So so we move from empathy, we move from a Jesus who's stooping onto his knee, embracing children, uh ministering to a broken woman at a well. We move from Jesus uh showing grace to the broken, showing mercy to the showing compassion. And now we go to standard 5. We see a different Jesus, but the same Jesus but in a different way. Can you explain standard five and what that means in your book? Yeah, this one is called confrontation, right? This is the one that attracts the masculine soul, uh, right? the aggressiveness yeah. of like, yeah, let me see what Jesus does here. And uh, the image I use here is a sword. And I don't think we said it, but the image for empathy is a fishing net because he's always pulling. Oh, right? that's he's pulling. Good. He doesn't push us, right? So he draws us. If he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. Um, so it's more of a pulling motion than a pushing. And when we look at the sword, when we look at confrontation, well, you know, I, I like your comment, Jim. You just talked about Jesus with his sandals, right? Because I think that's <laughs> the image most guys have. Oh, yeah. Um, that That's the image of the world. It's like, hey, who's Jesus, right? They want all love with no truth. So Jesus is... He's this hippie. Yeah. He's kind of floating around yep. on these grassy knolls. He's wearing his Birkenstocks. He's got the message of love and acceptance yeah. and unconditional agape, right? Yeah. But there's this other side to it. And that's only half the message. And I said, these verses travel together. You can't just split them up yep. because he might say something. It looks, it's an invitation, but then we just talked about, well, that sounds harsh if you reject. Yeah. So with confrontation, I think one of the best ways, well, first of all, we look at confrontation, the, the confrontation he brings. Um, let's go with the obvious first. The obvious is that he brings a confrontation to the religious crowd. Anyone that's seeking to stand in the way mm -hmm. between God and man, that's where he unleashes. And, you know, the whole incident where he flips the tables and he braids a whip and he goes into the temple, we have to take a step back. This wasn't a man who was losing control, no. right? This wasn't a guy who, you know, just lost it in the heat of the moment, no matter how righteous the anger. This was very calculated yep. and it was very purposeful. So if we actually back up and we look at the context and we just examine this one instance, it's that the way the money changers were set up, they were blocking entrance 
of the poor, the downtrodden, the cripple. Yep. People couldn't get into certain areas of the temple because the religious crowd was financially gaining off this system they set up, which was obstructing. Yeah. And that was where Jesus unleashes, right? And he's gentle. And people talk about, well, he's meek. Well, what's meek? It's not weak. Like the best definition I heard for meekness is power under control. Bridled stallion, baby. Bridled stallion. Right. Right. So he comes in and he clears the temple and he calls on his physical strength. And he was a strong man. You know, he worked a physical manual labor career for yeah. most of his life for 30 years or, you know, maybe 20 years if he started as a teenager. And this is what he did. So he's he's among the people and he stands up and there's so many examples of him standing up for what's right for the weak, for the defenseless. And obviously that's a model of a masculine man, a provider, a protector, and that's what we're called to be and do as well. Yeah, that's so good, man. There's, I'm not gonna, I have nothing to say there. That is just excellent. Well, I think that's outstanding. Let, let me go one more further because I said that's the obvious way. <laughs> um, here's the, here's the, here's another angle I'll take on this. I don't even know if I write about this one, but I probably do. But I don't know if it's in this section. But part of it is the confrontation he brings. It's really there's something internal with within us that we need to conquer our soul and our flesh, oh, right? So yes. the sword, the sword is really for us first. So if before we all get excited and say like, yeah, Jesus carries a sword. Well, in Ephesians and in, in Hebrews 4.12, when it talks about the word of God is sharp and powerful, quicker than any two-edged sword, it divides between joints and marrow, the bone and the flesh, but um, it divides between soul and spirit. Yeah. So there's this part within us where soul meets spirit and soul is our mind, will, and emotions. And our spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. That's the spiritual part of us. And it's not that our soul's bad, but our soul needs to be in the proper order according to our spirit. Um, that's where Jesus, where Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 5.23 that we'd be blessed and everything, but it's spirit, soul, and body. That's the proper order. And so our spirit man needs to be on top and not our soul, not our soul governing everything we do. So when we talk about the sword, Sword's really for us first. It's to divide between spirit and soul and put us in the proper order. So when we read the word, when we pray, we're really letting Jesus, if we cooperate and we surrender, we're allowing him to show us, where am I being soulish? What area do I need to surrender in? So I think that's the biggest confrontation, which is the inner battle. You know, it's really interesting. <clears throat> I was reading, I read through a blended version of the Gospels daily, and I was reading over and over again where Paul or where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees saying you're whitewashed tombs or you clean the outside of the cup and not the inside. So my theme this year is clean the cup. So I'm carrying this stainless steel cup on a carabiner on my briefcase. Everywhere I walk, it's clank, 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 clank. It's super, super annoying. But this year I've determined to make the outside match the inside. And as we're growing and our following's growing geometrically right now, you know, it's very important to me and to God that I am the same man in all my environments. And so identifying those soul areas and saying, God, bring the sword. And he's He's had to bring the sword this year in some areas. I've had to uh, confront relationships from 10 years ago that went bad. I've had to confront some deeper levels of sin, you know, that type of thing. And this is what he's calling us. He's saying, hey, first thing we're going to do the sword, bro, is you're going to fall on it. <laughs> and when you yeah, fall on like it, Jesus. yeah, and you're going to fall on it because <laughs> I fell on my sword and you're going to fall on it and let it reveal the power of what I'm asking you to do here. And and that's a and it sounds violent, but it's actually a gentle way of crucifying the flesh, right? Galatians 2:20. Mm -hmm. So, no, mm -hmm. that's really good, man. I I really like that deeper part. I think that could go into a book, man. 
Yeah. That, that yeah, resonates. That's a, that's a message that I have. So oh, yeah. yeah. We'll release that in that, some different that's ways. That's so good, man. So, hey, so the final standard, we're out of time today anyway. But yeah. and, and this is kind of your mic drop moment it is yeah. uh, kind of the, hey, man, all of this, all of this is great. But we got to kind of wrap it up in this package. And this package yeah. is? Yeah, it's the cross, right? So there's there's two sides to the cross. There's the work of the cross. It's the finished work of what he does for us. The invitation he makes, like you said from book one, mm -hmm. receive Jesus, receive the finished gift, receive the finished work that you can't pay for. You can't do anything to earn it. There's nothing you can be or do to be worthy of this other than accept the free gift that's mm -hmm. in front of you. That's the work yeah. of the cross. Yeah. And then once we receive him, this fits in really well with the conversation we just had and what you shared with the cup and how the Lord's, you know, crucifying you in some areas or using yeah. the sword yeah. in some areas in all of our lives. And that's the next stage, which is the way of the cross. Yeah. And the way of the cross is where we carry our cross. You know, the blood is for our sins. The cross is for our flesh. So oh. it's picking up our cross and where do we, where are we following him today? What do I have to lay down? And the whole thing can be summed up with this, Jim. There's really nothing more important than conformity to God's son. It's conformity. Yes. You know, it's, that is what we're after to look like him, to be like him, allow him to shape us, change us, mold us so we can be the man he called us and created us to be. And that's where we'll receive and we'll unlock our full potential. And that's also connected to our full reward. You know, it's interesting. So under this standard, I wrote uh, uh, two words, which is interesting, holiness and obedience. Because really it comes down to that for me. I'm like, okay, all these things are great, but if I'm not walking, and so many of the men listening to this podcast are not walking in Christian holiness. They're, they're living with their girlfriends. They're, they're doing things they, you know, and they, without shame, and they're doing it publicly, and they're celebrating yeah. it. And that's a, that's a problem for me. And so we have to carry the standard, guys, which is the cross. You know, yeah. Paul said, I, I quoted it again, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. You know, you can't come to Jesus on your own terms. No. You don't get to come the way you want to come and just say, hey, well, it's this, and I'm bringing all this stuff with me, and that's it. Um, you'll find out real quick if you're sincere that that stuff won't last. But, you know, one of the things that I say as I sum up the book, you know, we talk a, a lot of these things could be said is, hey, these are, only, these are all good virtues, right? And if you only see Jesus as a teacher of self-help self or some ancient philosopher of being the best version of yourself and just trying to show you these keys of wisdom, mm -hmm. then you missed everything. Yep. Because really he invites you to lay it all down. He invites you to follow him. That's always his instruction whenever he meets someone. The invitation is follow me, right? And when you follow someone, you don't get to do it on your own terms. Yeah. So for any man who's listening to this and trying to follow Jesus on their own terms, that's not following him. That's rejecting him. Yeah. So you either accept or you reject. There is no there is no fence to straddle. There's no gray area. There's no line where I'm one foot in and one foot out, or I have time to change. We don't know how much time we have. I mean, we're in some crazy times right now with all the stuff we've seen over the last couple of years. And I want to be ready. You know, life's too short to live it on my own terms and say, you know, for what, a fleeting moment? Yeah. Some superficial pleasure. Um, we need to, but we need to really, I mean, if you listen to everyone talking about discipline, it's always about forfeiting instant gratification for something longer. I yep. mean, that's where this fits yep. in when we talk about discipline and a life of self-control is lay it down. There's no higher thing you can ever do with your life. Yeah. I would say, you know, second Timothy three twelve says for the godly in Christ will be persecuted. I would say this, 
that if if you're if when you fully radically give your life to Jesus, <clears throat> if he does not completely deconstruct and in some ways wreck your life, I would push back that you're not following the biblical Jesus. Because there has to be a falling of the sword. There has to be a deconstruction. There has to be a tearing down of your ideals. And if that does not happen, you cannot have your cake and eat it too here. And so uh, anything you want to close with? You know, I'll say to that, that God, we talked about event driven and we talked about process, that the Hebrew orientation is always process. So that's what God's inviting us into today is a process as he makes us the man that he wants us to be. And even with what you just said there, God breaks everything before he uses it. Even when he holds the bread up to pray for it, he breaks it first. It's just a picture of he uses broken things. He himself was broken. So when you say yes, you're submitting and surrendering to a new way of life and you're saying, God, you can have it. And it's the best thing you can ever do is just turn it over. And I'm at that point, Jim, I'm like, I don't really care what happens with endeavors and things I'm pursuing. I'm like, I need God. I'm dependent on him. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't go with me, I don't want any of those other things. So guys, lay it down, submit to the process so you can be the man he called you to be. He loves to put broken pieces together. He loves to turn our tragedies into his trophies. So I'll tell you what, Josh, this has been one of my most enjoyable podcast interviews. I've really enjoyed your heart, and uh, this has been good stuff. So if we're going to yeah, drive our men to your your uh, ministry, what's your website? The best place to go is standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Jim, I'm going to give your listeners something special, a gift just for them oh, if sweet. they want it. I'll give you the link on the 10 high performance habits of Jesus at standard59.com forward slash habits, but I'll send it to you so you can drop it below. And um, yeah, if there's any way I can serve the guys, I'd love to. The book's on Amazon. But if you just go to the website, you'll find out everything I got going on. And, and it's a lot easier than trying to spell my name on Amazon. Catchadorian. Did I get it? No, Catchadarian. Catchadorian. Catchadorian. I had to write the first time. Dang it. All those syllables. Hey, it's hard for me with all those syllables, man. I'm Portuguese. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, love have it. a great week. And uh, man, I've really enjoyed uh, you being on the show, brother. It's been an honor. Thank you. Hey, guys, man law number 17 is simply this. Never, never use an emoji, emoticon, or whatever you call it, unless it's for your wife or daughter. The life rule is simple. Communicate your masculine voice proudly. Yes, I said sending emojis is not masculine. So now I'm going to get a bunch of texts and emails and comments on social media with your little emojis. Anyway... Hey, also, before you leave, guys, if you like this episode, text the link to one of your buddies. Uh, help them to get in the arena. Help them to become their best version. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.